1: And this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In today's episode of Kiwi birth tales, I speak with Bryony about the birth of her two sons, Ari and Archie. Brony takes us through her two premature birth stories. So she had hyperemesis both times and did have two premature births, but they're quite different stories and really interesting to listen to. She also takes us through um, her experience with having the boys having sickness after leaving the hospital and her experience in the NICU. So this is a really interesting episode and I hope you get a lot out of it. Hi Bryony, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. No worries, excited to be here. Awesome. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family?
0: Yeah, sure. So you can probably hear, um, this is my (laughs) youngest in the background. Um, This is Archie. His full name's Archimedes and he is five months old, nearly five months old, but should be four months old. And then we have an older one. He is 22 months old, but should be 20 months old. So they're quite close together. Um, And his name is Aurelius or we call him Ari for short. And then there's me and my husband, uh, who, um, we were both students when we met, um, we actually were working in a hall of residence together. We were both RAs. And, um, he always says like, he saw me carrying in my big boxes stuff. Like it was massive. I really probably shouldn't have been carrying it. Um, and he was thinking like, Oh my God, this girl's so hot. I need to like go and talk to her. And he, I remember him walking up to me, but then turning a corner and going the other way. (laughs) So it's that real classic, like, you know, possibly like a bit of love at first sight story that's um, really sweet. So, yeah, as we got to know each other, we got together really quickly and then um, we got engaged about five months after meeting each other and conceived Ari that night. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. And what part of of New Zealand do you live in? Um, so we live in Dunedin, um we've floated around a wee bit, but we are mainly students in Dunedin. is now graduated and he's working, and I'm a medical student at the University of Otago who is taking a break at the moment to do medical research, which I really, really enjoy.
1: Oh, awesome. Very cool. And so you obviously that <laughs> you conceived on your night that you got engaged, so do you want to take us <laughs> through um, sort of that journey and finding out that you were pregnant?
0: Yeah, so, um, we had talked about it, like, we talked about getting married before he proposed. And so we were kind of like doing the life planning kind of thing, like, how is this all going to fit in? Um, and medical school is quite a long journey. My medical school is going to be eight years long. Um, and there's a couple of years in the middle where you could, like, take some breaks if you wanted to. And so, um, just talking about what our lives might look like with children and stuff, we decided we'd like to be younger. So we, had conceived Ari when I was 22. Yeah. So we talked about that that might be a good time to like take a break and just get it out of the way real quick. Um, yeah. and have maybe like more time <laughs> than money, but time for us with our kids was important. And, um, yeah. So then we just thought we'll, we'll just go off contraception and, um what happens happens. And I had come from a midwifery background. I'd started to study midwifery but didn't finish it before medicine. Um decided medicine was more my thing. And I honestly adore midwives. I think they're amazing. Um and we just knew that like, you know, a lot of people do have problems and we didn't know if we were going to be in that boat until we were and so um just thought we'd just let, you know, it happened the way it happened and we were really lucky yeah. that I guess we conceived quite quickly in the grand scheme of things. And again, I'd say like being younger um, and healthy and things were probably on our side. So that was great, but it wasn't without um, like trouble. We had Ari and then um, after Ari, we lost a baby in September last year, um, but then conceived again quite quickly. Must have been about December. Um, And yeah, found out again in January that we were having Archie. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah and how did you find out that you were pregnant the first time around did you miss a period or you just took a test because you thought that you might be
0: um yeah I guess like people talk about you know they felt so for feel sick and stuff like that I think I felt quite tired we had like assessments and stuff with school there was a lot going on I think it was exam period for our students that we were looking after so that was all really full-on um like it's, I know it's their exams but it's you yeah, know it's investing as an RA and um yeah. And my boobs were like really sore. And one thing said to me, I think your boobs have grown like in that very sensitive, loving way. <laughs> um, and so I was like, Oh, maybe you should take a test and, um, took the test in the bathroom at the hall <laughs> and then like took it back to the room and then just like sat there talking and stuff. And I was like, I just, I just don't think it's going to happen. I'd say probably just, you know, I didn't really have a lot of confidence that it was going to happen, especially so quickly. Um, and then like got up went to the window to like grab the test and go check it in the bin. And it was like bright, positive. I was like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, Knowing what I know about midwifery care from having had a touch in that earlier on in my life, I um, pretty much contacted a midwife like that afternoon.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. And how were you feeling in your first trimester? What were your sort of pregnancy symptoms and how, how did you feel emotionally?
0: Yeah. Um, it was emotionally a big one, I guess, being young and um, not really knowing a lot of people that had kids already. We just kind of had our parents and we told my parents um, that we were thinking about having a baby. We hadn't told Hawani's parents yet because we just kind of weren't like sure what would happen. And um, when it happened, I basically called my mum straight away. I was really excited <laughs> and um, so they knew straight away and then the next week we were going up to the Coromander, which is where Hawani's family from and where we ended up living later. Um, and they were hounding us about uh living by ourselves. We'd said we told them, Oh, we wanna fly by ourselves, want to flat by ourselves. And we weren't sure whether to say anything yet because I was only like six weeks pregnant and um didn't want to like, you know, let it slip and then something happened and yeah. we just I don't know if we were ready for that. Um, but they were like, no, you've got to like have flatmates and, blah, blah, blah. and you know, you can't afford to live by yourselves kind of thing. And then so he grabbed a wine bottle out of the wine rack and he went into the spare room and he wrote on a bit of paper, um, going to pop March, 2018 and he put that on the <laughs> wine bottle and took it back into the room and gave it to his parents. And that's how he told them that they were pregnant. And once they heard, they were really excited and they all clutched for them. <laughs> <It was okay. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and so then at that was that that point in six weeks, I was we were flying lots, and um, I was like doing lots of school stuff, and it was all really good, and I felt great. And then I think about a week later or two weeks later, I started throwing up, and I knew again from my free people will throw up, and that's fine, and this is what you do, and you can take this medication, and you can try ginger, and you can try all these things, and I did a lot of that, but it just was going on and on and on and on, and I want to bring up now <laughs> um medical students often have or they get called um saying that they have medical student syndrome which basically means that <laughs> as you learn about stuff you think like you have that thing or like you think a million times throughout your training that you might have cancer or whatever and I didn't want to be that person and I didn't want to be calling my midwife all the time being like oh I'm so sick or I've got this symptom where I've got this bleeding or righty, 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 right. And um, we decided to not say anything, (laughs) but I was getting really, really sick. And um, then I must, I don't know, I got really, really sick one day and Hawani just called an ambulance, I think, or called a taxi or something. Somehow I ended up at the hospital and um, they said, oh, you've actually lost like 10 kgs since you last saw your midwife, which was only like maybe four weeks before that. And, um, you know, you're really dehydrated and all of your like thyroid hormones are going crazy and um you're you've got ketones in your urine um so all of these things are like signs that you're incredibly dehydrated and you're not getting enough energy um and that was just because at that point I was eating like super wines and cheeseburgers and garlic bread and it was like all I could tolerate um and living in a hall was really hard for that too um because the meals are like cooked for you and everything. So you don't necessarily yeah. get a choice in what you eat. So yeah. And being on a student budget, like all I could afford was like cheeseburgers and super wines. So <laughs> it wasn't like super good. Um, so I then got diagnosed with hyperemesis and was admitted 20 more times <laughs> over the next oh, kind of wow. five months with hyperemesis. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was really crap. And then, um, just really hard on my mental health, um, At one point, like I could probably say so many things about hyperemesis. I know people have talked about it on the podcast before. It is horrendous. Um, I'm a very strong person and I really wanted kids and I've been through a lot, but I got to think 18 weeks pregnant and had lost so much weight and was feeling so sick. And my um, exams were coming up for medical school that I really needed to pass to be able to get through um, medical school on time. And, um, I seriously like had a chat with the doctor about whether or not I could terminate the pregnancy. And I hate saying that. And I hate that, that some people out there might be like, Oh my gosh, um, that's horrendous, but it's that bad. Like I was genuinely fearing for my life and for my career. Um, and all the time for my baby's life, it wasn't, um, a really good place to be in. (laughs) So, um, yeah, Yeah. yeah, kind of, um, for them you know they started giving me more fluids and more drugs and my gp got on with it and um she was amazing i had the most amazing gps and um they would let me come in and just like cool up in the morning at like eight thirty and be like i need some more fluids and they'd come in and like hook me up and i'd sit there for six hours and then i'd go home because if i went to ed there's like a system where you like you go to ed twice and then you go to maternity unit for like the full check over and so i'd been to Eddie twice the maternity, then Eddie twice the maternity and back and forth. So much, so many times that, um, the GP was like, Oh, I'll just come here. It's going to save you all that waiting around in ED and we will, um, send you to maternity if we're worried about you and stuff. And yeah, they were just really such amazing people to help me get through that period and help me get through exams. And, um, yeah, I, I, I honestly don't think I could have done it without them. Mm-hmm um but oh, yeah. yeah I thought that was the worst of it and then it got to about 20 weeks and um things were like better so I had been throwing up about 20 times a day since I was eight weeks pregnant and then it kind of slowed down to about 10 um got through exams had like one weird mission to hospital where I had some really horrible breaks and hits and we were just like making sure I wasn't doing anything weird and premature um and midwife was like lovely about that as well that was awesome and then I got a job at Auckland Hospital over the summer as a research assistant. So went from Dunedin up to the Coromandel where my family, Huaning's well, family, are from, and stayed with them for the summer. All the intention was to stay with them for the summer. Uh and to commute to Auckland to Auckland Hospital for work. And I by that stage it was summer, you know, things were it was really hot and stuff and I was getting bigger and things. That was like uncomfortable. But otherwise wasn't too bad. Like I kind of just got got to the point where i was like i'm gonna be sick and probably just gonna be sick the whole time i need to just get over it and get through this stuff and then i can relax and you know be, get ready to have a baby and so we went up there in november and had all you know i'd had all the growth scans all the normal kind of like testing and everything everything had come back beautifully my midwife was quite fine with it um I was just to go up there for like three or four months in that second half of my pregnancy. And I wasn't going to have any checkups. I wasn't going to see a midwife or anything like that. Um, but my really lovely friend from medical school, um, who's amazing, his mum is a obstetrician in Auckland and she offered to hook me up with a midwife and just see me if there was anything um, serious that came up. Um, she was based at Middlemore hospital and that was obviously like probably one of the closer hospitals to where we were living at the time so um yeah. that would probably be where I'd go if anything went wrong and um the midwife up there she was really lovely as well so we saw her once and then um like called her a couple of times when I had funny symptoms and stuff but nothing you know I was really I'm high premises and I was it's like you have um uh, you know, like a blackout after being pregnant with hypermesis, and you just don't remember it as bad as it was, but then you talk about mm-hmm. it it was, it was pretty bad <laughs> um, so if we needed anything, she was there for that but um, got my medications and just got on with life and being twenty three year olds that so we were um went away for new years and um you know i but I danced in a bar twenty something weeks pregnant <laughs> <laughs> um probably twenty I was probably nearly thirty weeks pregnant then. And, um, thought, you know, I'm so young and healthy and fit and everything will be great. And I'm going to come home at 36 weeks pregnant to Eden and move into our flat and I'm going to have a home birth and everything's going to go great. And I had always thought I'd have a home birth and I'm Mm -hmm. big on, um, hypnobirthing and all that kind of stuff. And so I was pretty sure that, um, you know, I kind of knew what I was doing, um, had been to antenatal classes as well, actually. And The positive birth classes, which are kind of more geared towards that physiological birth stuff, and highly recommend it. And the hypnobirthing amazing, totally recommend that as well. Um, so I thought I was like, all ready to go, just think like things would just tick along and I'd get there. And, um, then at I think it was like the 2nd of January, we, I was sitting at home and I was really uncomfortable and had really bad back pain. And I didn't like, register maybe the uh, like how regular and stuff those kind of pains were um I was 30 weeks I think I was 30 weeks and five days or something like that and um I text my friend because I obviously have lots of midwife friends from when I started the training way back and um Said like, you know, what do you think of this? Because I didn't want to bother my midwife on the second of January, and the traffic between the Coromandel and Middlemore Hospital was horrific because it's like everyone coming back from their like summers or whatever, and so didn't really want to get caught in that business. And she was like, Nah, if they're like that regular and you feel really uncomfortable and all that kind of stuff, it's really probably a good idea to let the midwife in Auckland know. And so I called Bev, the midwife in Auckland and she was like, yeah, I'd rather see you at Middlemore hospital. And so we got in the car (laughs) and a journey Mm -hmm. that probably should have taken like an hour and a half, took close to three hours. (laughs) And uh, because of all the traffic and I got a call from Bev a couple of times being like, where are you? I'm waiting for you. I want to go home kind of thing. Um, and I was like feeling like horrendous. I was like, Oh, I'm going to be throwing all these people out for no reason. So we drove all the way there. Um, got there was like coming out of the lift at the reception I don't know how many of you guys listening have been to middle hospital and it's just this big room with chairs in it and um the receptionist standing across the room saw me and just said are you Bev's patient and I said yes and she just ran (laughs) and went and got Bev and they brought me into this room not a big room and then um started hooking me up and saw these regular contractions and they're like, okay, we're moving you to a bigger room. And then they took me to a bigger room and started all this stuff. And I stayed there and they checked me and everything. And they're like, no, your cervix is closed and it's tight and all this stuff. So um, we're just going to say that you have an irritable uterus. And that's a really common thing that like can just happen from time to time. It can happen from stress. It can happen from dehydration. Um, any of number of things that I could have been going through at that time in January and <laughs> in the heat and things. And um, yeah. so they said, you can stay the night or you can go home. And I don't like being a patient in hospital. So <laughs> especially after being admitted 20 times to hospital before that in my pregnancy and I was like, I want to go home, hope this settles kind of thing. And we went home and then the next day, this massive storm tore through the Coromandel and it flooded Entire towns, our house got flooded. Um, uh, Hawaii's parents were in, uh, way in Taupo, I think, or something, or Tauranga, and they couldn't get through to us and we couldn't leave. Um, we had like the tiniest little bit of water in our tank. We had food in the fridge, but no power. Um, it was all just like this really, like, very rustic, very camping situation for being like, uh, New Year's in the Coromandel which would have been fine, but something in me was just like, no, like I need to get out of here. I couldn't sleep. I was still contracting on and off, like not terribly, but just kind of all the time. I think the stress of that as well, wasn't helping. Um, the water was like full, like people's septic tanks had like overflowing into the streets and stuff. And it was just, I don't know what it was. I just said, I can't, I really, really can't be here. And I, convinced Tawani to leave <laughs> and the road was open for like mm. an hour there's only like one true road out of Coromandel. It was open for an hour and um we just like made it we just got out just <laughs> and um went to visit our friends in Taupo and um they've got a really lovely house over the lake and things so um thought that that would be a good place for me to just relax and you know get through this period while all the septic tanks and water and everything was being restored back home mm-hmm. and so I went there that night, I, um, I, all day I felt really tired and really on and off crampy. And that night I started throwing up and um, all sorts of things coming out of my body <laughs> without going into too much detail um, and just felt horrendous. And then I woke up the next morning very few hours sleep and my whole bump had dropped, like really, really dropped. But being the trooper that I am <laughs> – said no it'll be nothing I'm fine it'll just be a bug I'm probably just again like dehydrated so went for the for a walk around the street with the um, friends we were with and got about 20 minutes down the road and realized I'd had maybe like four or five really strong contractions like having to stop having to catch my breath kind of thing and although I'd had these on and off contractions they were that were quite painful they weren't like this this was something different and so made the twenty minute walk back that took like another forty minutes. Um, and just took it real easy, but thinking I'd get home and they'd stop like every other time and they just didn't stop. And <laughs> so I called the midwife in Auckland again and said, Hey, now we're in Taupo and um this kind of thing's happening again, similar to when you saw us last week in Middlemore. I was now thirty one weeks and maybe two days or three days. And, um, she said, I think you should go to Taupo hospital. They don't have a, um, like maternity unit or anything. They just have like a birthing center from 37 weeks or whatever. Um, but someone will see you and you know, they can make a decision. And I was like, okay, okay. And I felt again, really bad for bothering her and hoping that it was all nothing and stuff. And I had my bag and it had like a day's worth of change of clothes, no baby things, didn't even have my maternity notes. <laughs> um, and we <laughs> rocked up to the hospital and Hawani took me into the ED and the ED sectionist was like, no, get her through to the maternity unit. And they like, whips me through this door and charged me on her bed. And this midwife came and she's like, Oh, I hate when they do that. And then it was real calm, real lovely. She's like, Oh, see, so you having contractions contraction. So she hooked me up and I was like, you could see the contractions on the monitor and I was like, Oh, this happened to me last week. I'm sure it's probably nothing again. Maybe I just need some fluids or something. Not trying to be a medical student taking over anything, but like just, <laughs> just kind of like downplaying the situation. And she was like, I'll just check you and I'll do a couple of tests. And so she did a test that showed that my waters hadn't broken, which was great because hadn't had any of those kind of symptoms. And then she did another test that tests for a protein um, and there's a predictive value with the protein of like whether you'll go into labor in the next two weeks and that came back positive. And so she had checked me before that test came back. But um when she was checking me, I like noticed her, she'd began looking at me and then she started looking away and then she was looking at the clock and I was like, am I having a contraction? And she can like feel it from the inside. I was really fascinated. And um, then she waited for that test to come back and she was like, I'm just going to go make a phone call and stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. Like maybe she's just getting the like consensus from someone else to tell me whether or not to go home. And she came back into the room and she said, you're a very stretchy three centimeters I'm not going to tell the oh, about seventy five percent are faced. I'm not going to tell the um ambulance staff that you were pretty much for because they won't put you on the plane or in an ambulance in case you have this baby early, and we need to get you somewhere with a NICU a s a p and Hawani was just petrified. <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm, and I had been having, you know, these on and off kind of niggly things for months and not really, I I don't know what changed about today, apart from maybe the illness the night before that made me think they were that different. But again, it was like that instinctive feeling like I, something's not right. I need to go into myself and like, I need to be with this baby. And so she said, I'm going to make some calls. And she started calling people and like, none of the Auckland hospitals had a space in the NICU. And so she called someone in Auckland, called someone in Wellington and Wellington said, Oh yeah, we've got a space for a baby that young. And they said, okay, we're going to get you on, um, in an ambulance with a midwife. And then the midwife's going to join you on a plane and you're going to get to Wellington in the next hour and a half. Um, and I'm going to give you this medicine, which is an So it helps stop contractions. And, um, I think she gave me some pain relief maybe as well, but she said, no one's going to touch you. No one's allowed to do anything. If you feel anything change significantly or drastically, you need to tell someone as soon as possible. And I think I clenched every single pelvic floor muscle I had (laughs) all the way to Wellington, um, and got there and yeah, kind of same kind of story, like a very stretchy three centimeters, very regular contractions. Um, hadn't gone, all the same kind of things again. But um they were like, You're here now, and they said you'll be here until you deliver your baby. And I was like, My things are in Thames, (laughs) my (laughs) midwife is in Auckland, my house is in Dunedin (laughs) and now we're in Wellington. (laughs) (laughs) So um luckily had some like people we could call on in Wellington, um, that we knew, family and friends and things and um being Hawaiianese from a Mori family you know, they just rocked up into my delivery suite when I had like no underwear on, like just came to say hi. I think she brought us some egg sandwiches at one point. Um, <laughs> it was pretty like, yeah, funny. And then I again knew some midwives in Wellington at the time as well. And they were really lovely. And they'd come in and check on me kind of on a social visit um, just to see how I was doing. But we spent kind of two days on and off contracting. Um, it was pretty horrible. Again, I, I, they take morphine at times, um, I think to kind of get through. I tried like the showers and stuff, but most of the time they kind of like just stay in bed, right, right, right? And, um, then one day, I think I was in so much pain. I was begging for a caesarean, which is like so far from the home birth that I'd planned back home. Um, mm-hmm. that I was so just like, you know, months of being sick and then now like weeks of being contracting all the time it was horrendous. And I hate that I sound like this person who just hated being there but man it was really hard to bond with your baby and like really hard to connect with your baby and yeah um he would move or kick and then it would like trigger another contraction or whatever um so it was not like yeah i think a, a, a very long time of feeling like this might go really badly and that probably protects you a wee bit like shadows things a wee bit um And yeah, I think day three, I got up and went to the toilet and then my waters just went, um, as I was sitting down and dear midwife came in and said, no dear, you've just peed yourself. Um, we'll put this pad on, try not to do it again. Um, leaked water all the way back over to the bed. Um, again, got told off for trying to piss myself or whatever she thought I was doing. Um, put the pad on, went, um and lay down for a bit for half an hour and I felt the pad become soaked through and like start to leak onto the bed so I called the bow again and she was like okay I'll um put this pad on and you can go for a walk um up and down the corridor which would be the first time I've left the delivery suite in three days and um so I jumped in it (laughs) and put the pad on went for a wee one day and I barely made it out the door and the pad had overflowed and had started to leak down and I had a wee puddle on the floor that I just got slipped in trying to get back into the room and mm. the midwife, so we were the closest room to the midwife station and they like came over and were like, Oh, okay, maybe we'll get the doctor, come in and check on you. Um, and the doctor came in and confirmed that my waters had gone and yeah, kind of much the same, just like hang tight. We're not going to do anything. You're not going to have a cesarean. You're just going to wait until you give birth and that was Okay wasn't okay but it was okay (laughs) we were all okay (laughs) and um they did the scans and things just to keep checking on the baby all the time and um he seemed to be doing fine um we didn't know what he was either and we hadn't picked out any names so I I think it's another thing that made it like a hard thing to justify or like rationalize um who he was (laughs) in all of this um and then that night, I think. So I was thirty just coming into thirty two weeks overnight and I called the bell at about two thirty and said in the night and said, I'm in so much pain. Like this is I hadn't really felt it necessarily change much, but I was like in so much pain and um I can't I don't know if I can do this. And so she's like, Oh we'll give you some more morphine so you can have some sleep because two thirty in the morning you wanna have a sleep and um then I called about again at three something and said, I still hadn't got the morphine, but I was like, I'm um, seriously, something's not right. Like, I think my uterus is tearing in half. <laughs> and um, mm. she was like, okay, I'll check you. And the reason they're resistant to checking you often um, is because they don't want to introduce infection, especially after your waters are broken yeah. um, and especially with a premature baby and so i respected that that every decision they made was in in our best interest and that was fine but um when you're in that much pain and you're just suffering it's really hard to um think past that you think that they can change the world for you (laughs) um and she checked me and she was like okay after five days (laughs) you're finally four centimeters um i think you're just going to have this baby now um do you want an epidural? And again, so far removed from my home birth vision, I said, yes. (laughs) And the Mm -hmm. um, midwife went away and got the anesthetist and anesthetist came back and started setting up his stuff and set me up to um, do it. And he was starting to put the needle on my back or just put the needle on my back. And I said to the midwife, I feel the head and um, I said to him, sorry, I feel the head and Helani was sleeping in the corner but I think that woke him up and, um, he came over and, uh, I said, no, I feel the head. I feel the head. And he was like, oh, you've been (laughs) contracting for days. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Are you sure? And uh, the anesthetist, I think had the needle in my back at the time. And that's why I, I couldn't move in any of this. And I was saying, no, I, I feel the head. And he, I think i slipped over onto my back he took the needle out I flipped over onto my back and opened my legs and I think someone lifted up the sheet and saw Ari's head and um he was like okay I've got good news and bad news (laughs) and he said Hmm. good news is your baby's here and bad news is I can't deliver it (laughs) and so had no neonatal nurses no neonatologists no resuscitation set up no incubators no midwives in the room just me and Helani and my baby and the anesthetist who wasn't going to touch me. Um, not even with gloves on. <laughs> and, um, yeah, Ari was born very quickly. I didn't push. I didn't feel him. Uh, I didn't think any changes, just, it, just his head come and drop into probably my vagina and then start to crown. Even that wasn't too bad. Um, and I just picked him up between my legs and, him. and then some midwives came in someone pressed an emergency bell um and the midwives came in Huani ripped his phone out really quickly which is great and took some pictures and um Ari cried and we'd had the neonatologist and things come into our room and say your baby probably won't cry um we'd had all of the things like steroids and things to say to help his lungs develop but you know we we yeah. were just prepared for a very lifeless blue baby gonna be Picked up, cut the cord quickly, and run away over to the incubator. And because he was born so quickly, and I pulled him up to my chest, he was warm and he was happy and he was wriggling and um, he was crying and he was still connected to the cord, which was fantastic. So he got a bit of extra blood from there and um, also just the oxygen keeping him um, well. And yeah, they went and got all the people that they needed to get. But I think I got cuddling him for a few minutes. Um, and then someone came running in. the NICUs were very close to the, um, across the hallway, basically from delivery suite. So, um, they came very quickly when it all happened and, um, yeah, he was four pounds, three ounces, 30, uh, 45 centimeters long. And yeah, it just seemed fine. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but yeah, a couple of minutes after that all happened, I think I was in shock and People say to me, and they've always said to me, and I've witnessed it for myself in midwifery, the people saying, you know, oh, this is the most amazing feeling or um, just the the wideness of their smiles and things. And it, it's an amazing thing to be a part of or an honor to be a part of as a midwifery student or a medical student. But as a mother, like I hadn't experienced that myself. And it didn't really hit me till later, but I didn't experience that with Ari either. I think um, through a combination of exhaustion and... Um, all sorts of things. He just, I didn't feel <laughs> like this overwhelming craziness. I was just like, cool, this baby's here. Yep. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, he started to struggle and he started to go a wee bit blue. So they cut the cord and popped him over in the incubator and quite quickly, um, intubated him and then whisked away over to Nikku. Um, yeah, and Helani I said, can you please go with him? Because one of the things I really didn't want was, um, him to be alone. Um, Polani, however, is very non-medical and very scared of needles and did not handle it very well. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I got up, got showered and all sorts of things. Um, like the midwives kind of prompt you to do the placenta came really quickly. They, um, I think it was, I think on my birth summary, it says I was in active labor for 22 minutes and he was born three minutes after I fully dilated. <laughs> um, but you can only present that I was fully dilated cause he just came out. Um, and with premature babies, yeah. so we've smaller, so you don't need to dilate all the way. So who, who will ever know? Um, and then I think my placenta was five minutes after that. So it was all very quick and I was yeah. up very quickly and, um, you know, like you do, you bleed and things, but went and had a shower and tried to chuck on some clothes that I'd had with me and, um, walked tried to walk over to the NICU but they were like, No, you actually can't leave the delivery suite for like ages. So I had to like kind of sit there twiddling my thumbs. Um and I got a call from Huani saying, Oh, they need a name, they need a name and and I was like, What like I don't even know what he is really yet. Like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Can you confirm he's a boy? <laughs> um but yeah and they um, you know, tried to take your address and all sorts of things. I was trying to remember all this information at 3 30 in the morning. And um, Hawani said the name Aurelius, which had come up a few times and I'd kind of always been like, No, 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 no. Um, but it just felt right. And so, um, I said, Okay, cool, as long as we can call him Ari for short." Sure. <laughs> and so <laughs> that was yeah, Aurelius. And um he we were really lucky. We were in Wellington and they have a Ronald McDonald house and so the spent the first couple of days um in hospital. Um, getting antibiotics and things like that. That's just a normal cover for if you have a premature baby and um, just spending pretty much every waking hour in the of sitting at his bedside. And um, I think he was four days old or so before we got to hold him. Um, and we were staying at Ronald McDonald house and was coming back and forth and all sorts of things. But um, I think the biggest struggle for me is a first time mom having a premature baby was being put onto the, um, postnatal ward and hearing other babies cry in the middle of the night. Mm. And so, yeah, tough (laughs) and still having to get up, get up every six hours for antibiotics. And I had to get up every three hours to express. Um, and I was lucky enough that again, from the midwifery background, I kind of knew a little bit about hand expressing and I um knew to ask someone to teach me how to do it <laughs> because they hadn't gotten around to that part of like birth learning yet mm. <laughs> um and they were helpful with that but um yeah we just went went with it and I expressed as a bedside and naku um and every meal that I made I counted and I saved meticulously and you know just knew how precious it was to be able to produce milk with having a premature baby. Some people really struggle um, and really just kind of looked after that part of me Um, and yeah, expressed pretty well for the first kind of couple of weeks. And during that time, Ari was, um, Rather healthy. He he they said he had an infection when he was born, so it's potentially that I had an infection that made me go into labor. Um, but they treated that and he, he did all the normal things. And um as far as it goes, it's just kind of that growing outside of you in the NICU. Yeah. Um it was hard not having family or friends um but also kind of a blessing because i think most people who've had babies will tell you that they almost wish that they could have hidden in their houses for two weeks and not talk to anyone and just got to know their babies and just got to know breastfeeding and all of those things on their own um without much interruption and um so we kind of had a bit of that um we were lucky to have ronald mcdonald house and they'll cook you meals and you know you have your own room and i had a bath which was like a luxury for me (laughs) um and yeah, just kind of doing stuff. But I didn't get clicked in with the community midwives very quickly. And I told my midwife in Auckland that I had a baby, and I told my midwife in Dunedin that I had a baby, and they kind of just were like, "Cool, oh, sweet, you'll be fine." Um, and that, it's not their fault. I think they just thought that I would be picked up, and I wasn't picked up. So, yeah. um, I think I'd seen someone at some point, and um, I think it was like two weeks in. And I just was in the NICU doing nothing really spectacular. Nothing really was happening. Um, but I just burst into tears and was inconsolable. And then nurses and things that were there were kind of like, partially like, you're, you're all right. You're all right. Partially like, please don't cry all over the equipment. Um, and tried to like, look after me. Um, but then I think Hawani was like, no, we need to talk to someone. I need to see someone. And then one of the, the nurses said, oh, you actually meant to be seeing a community midwife with the team there and um, got an appointment with them. And they made me do that postnatal depression scale thing. And yep. again, was only like two weeks after I'd had a baby and I had a NICU baby. It was, I think it was all proportionate amount of stress and probably everything kind of catching up on me. Um, so I like completely failed that test and they were like, we want you to see a perinatal um, psychologist and stuff like that. But at the time um, all of this kind of was, he was getting well enough that they were thinking about transferring back to Dunedin and where we were going to be living and stuff. So that was all getting sorted. Um, and he was starting to grow really well. And um, so I kind of said, oh, I'll pass on the psychologist. I'll just um, deal. I'll talk to a counselor when I get home kind of thing, when this is all over and, um Hwani had to go back to work for a little bit in the Coromandel but then he just couldn't handle it and so he came back to Wellington uh back to Dunedin I think and then we met in Dunedin when Ari was transferred back down there but before we left Wellington I was alone in Ronald McDonald House for a wee bit and my mum had come to visit and stuff but um I think the day she turned up I just said hey I feel really sick and I want to just lie down and do nothing and I thought it was like oh cool I'm just gonna my mum's here, so I'm just going to have a big cry and I'm going <laughs> to kind of relax for a bit. <laughs> um, but I was, was feeling really sick and it was a hot day, but I had like lots of sweets and stuff. And um, I had been producing a lot of milk, um, had been pumping a lot and making tons and it was great. Um, but I had quite sore breasts and then uh, we got up to have a shower thinking I'll just sweat this out and um, I'll feel better. And I noticed like my breasts were like covered in these big red patches. And so I was like, Oh, maybe I'm getting mastitis. I'll just lie down. And I think I'm seeing the community midwife tomorrow and I'll, or I'll call them tomorrow because it was getting close to like five o'clock and I'll, um I'll see if I can get some antibiotics or something. And I didn't go over and see Ari and I must've fallen asleep. And when I woke up, the bed was just soaked and Mum was like, are you okay? And I really just couldn't even lift my head off the bed anymore. And so she chucked me in a wheelchair. I think it was designed for children. It belonged to my McDonald House and wheeled me across the road. And um, I ended up being septic from the mastitis. And again, it was just that lack of follow-up care. Um, no one really checking in on how I was. Um, that meant it like physically a lot of my stuff got away on me, even though I had some medical knowledge. I was so engrossed in my baby and what he was doing and how he was growing that I didn't think about myself. And so um, that was really bad. And then I <laughs> ended up very really sick and had to stay in hospital for yeah, yeah. The antibiotics and stuff. But um, after that, people were a lot more like, oh, okay, maybe she needs a lot more help than we kind of thought she did. Um, but, yeah, so then we were really lucky to go home. About 35 weeks corrected, uh, Ari started to breastfeed and um that need I need a lot of help with that but thankfully in Dunedin um NICU there's a nurse who's also a lactation consultant and we were lucky enough to get her a few times and she was really helpful with all that sort of thing so um she also helped me to learn about more about mastitis and like how to prevent it and all that stuff as well and Mm -hmm. just said like look I think you just are one of those people you have lots of milk and you just need to drain your breast well um and I'd obviously been pumping a lot already um since he'd been born so I just carried on pumping and breastfeeding and then when he came home still carried on. Um, but yeah, lots of skin to skin, lots of, um, crying It's <laughs> kind of what I remember from that period. And, um, yeah. I, I thought it was the worst, one of the worst things I'd ever go through. And then, um, we got him home and he was home for two weeks and then he started to get really sick and, so he'd come home at about 36 weeks gestation, uh, all corrected. And, um, we, I, I was just, something just didn't feel right again. It was kind of like that feeling I'd had in the coromandel where I needed to leave all that feeling when I was in Taupo and I needed to go to the hospital. And, um, I took him to hospital and they did some tests and they said, Oh, we need to do this and bloods and whatever. And we need to do a lumbar puncture. And I was like, Oh, do you really have to do a lumbar puncture? Like that's so horrible for a little baby. And um, they're like, no, we do. Um, but, man, he took it like a champ. I was way more of a wreck than he was. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And turned out he had meningitis. And we'll never know where he got it from. <laughs> but, um, yeah, oh, wow. that was really that was horrible. That was probably the next most horrible thing that we ever went through. But um, he obviously got the treatment really quickly. I'm really, like, thankful, again, that I listened to my instinct in them. and took him um, in. And then from there, it was just, like, lots of little bugs, like, premature babies get nothing really serious so 32 weeks which was just on 32 weeks when he was born is a really smooth ride through Nico compared to our next baby but oh man it's still like I think other people have said it's a club you don't want to be in like it Nico was terrible and you yeah it, it's I was mourning not having gotten big I was mourning not having had my home birth or like peace or even just someone at my birth like yeah you know I probably had a lot of like unresolved trauma and stuff and I probably talk about myself a lot <laughs> Ari was fine um really like he was really fine through it all I think it just hit me more than hit him but someone I didn't think about and I wanted to mention was my husband Huani. and um the first like that real adjustment to being a parent and being in relationship was still only new when he was born like we're only been together for a year um, you know, we're learning each other and we're adapting to this new role as being a parent. And we were going through these huge swings and roundabouts with illnesses and things with Ari and, um, hadn't, you know, it was just, I hadn't really given much thought to him. I thought he was doing well. Um, and then there was a series of other stuff that happened in our lives. Like he lost his job, but then he got a new job. And, um, then we got pregnant again by accident this time. <laughs> um, and yeah. got hyper. 11 week scan or 12 week scan and find out that the baby passed away and I had to go and have surgery to remove the baby. Um, and we buried our baby. We buried our placenta like we do with our boys because that's the Maori kind of way to do it. And, um, he just was, after that something changed, I think after losing that baby, it was for him. I think men really struggle in general and I don't want to generalize, but, um, yeah, it's kind of how I've seen it since then, and we've been to counselling and things, and talked about it uh, with not being in control of the situation. And um, they, you know, he'd been through not being in control when Ari was born early, or I was going through all this pain and he couldn't help me, and um, again yeah. not being in control when the second baby um, passed away. Um, and he, yeah, he really, really struggled. Not, not again, not wanting to speak for him um himself either but um yeah we kind of just sailed through i guess um and then about march this year um it all came to a head and i realized how much he'd been suffering and he went to a counselor and it's just been an incredibly different person like um, the person i really thought i'd fallen in love with and the parent that i really um knew he could be came out after being in counseling and so I wouldn't say that I had postnatal depression, but I would definitely say, and he would agree that he did. And I probably would yeah. forgive myself for not um, giving him more credit because he went through all of this as much as he went through, as I went through it. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I'd say yeah. Keep, a, keep an eye out for that day. It's a huge, <laughs> huge adjustment. Um, and yeah, now he's kind of made yeah. more dad friends. Cause again, he was young as well and didn't have, you know, friends with dads and things and didn't know what to expect. So um, he's doing a lot better for all of that. And so in yeah. December, um, we, in like after that baby had passed away, we, um, started trying for another one. And I think in December we conceived Archie <laughs> Archimedes and, um, <laughs> in January we found out and it was not long after our wedding. It was actually, I think the week of Ari's first birthday. So again, it's like all this things are happening <laughs> all really quickly. Um, yep. Again, I was like, I'm, oh, so the other thing I will say as well, uh, the midwife from my first, um, pregnancy wasn't available. The one in Dunedin wasn't available for the baby that we'd lost. And so we went with another midwife, um, called Jane and she's amazing. I just think she's just the most wonderful human being in the world. And, um, the difference in care was really clear. I'm not saying that, um, my first midwife wasn't good or anything, um, I think they're all good <laughs> but just I think <laughs> midwifery is a bit of like a friendship as well like you really find a midwife who is such an invitation to your family or such a compliment to your family um, and Jane was this for us and so with that loss she was incredible and she checked in on us often and um, even after we'd um, you know seen out that period of care with her um, or that she'd be obliged to. Um, she was just so great. And so when I got pregnant again with Archie, I called her up straight away and got in and got a little win with her. Um, <laughs> yeah. Had hyperemesis again. Sorry, I'm just kind of like summarizing now, but um, had hyperemesis again. This time round, people took me a lot more seriously, and especially with the premature labor, like you tend to just naturally fall into obstetric care um, the second time round. So the chances of having a premature baby the first time are 7%. If you have or if, yeah seven or ten percent or something, and if you have a premature baby again, um the chances only go up to ten percent, so it goes from seven to ten percent. The chances of having yeah. a third premature baby go up to like eighty something percent <laughs> like it's huge um, so but yeah, i you know sailed along thinking I won't have another premature baby, it was an infection or it was um you know the stress of the circumstances that we were in with the storm and things but um. Thinking it would all be fine again, planned a home birth. Um, took a real chill apart from the hyperemesis stuff, like getting treatment for that. I barely ever contacted Jane, um, apart from just being like friendly. I also had a student midwife. Um, she was amazing. Her name is Hannah. And, um, yeah, we kind of sailed through until the 23 week mark, did all the same things, didn't find out the gender, um, just did the normal scans. And then, um, I started to contract. I was 23 and six and I, Knew I was like, this is what I felt last time. And, um, we, funnily enough, actually have an electric car and, um, the car wasn't charged. <laughs> Not that oh, you know. about, yeah, like having your baby bag packed. It's like you don't have your car charged ready to go because you're only 23 weeks. Um, and so I went to charge the car and stood at the charger, like dancing back and forth through these contractions, um, with Ari in the backseat and then met Hawani at the hospital and, um, and Jane at the hospital and she checked me and she was like, no, your cervix is closed, but I know you felt this before and you, you know what to do. If anything changes, you just come see us straight away. Um, and went home and I stayed home for a couple of days, same kind of thing, contracting on and off. And then the difference this time, I didn't, I had the same kind of clearing out symptoms, um, like vomiting and things. And then, um, I started bleeding. And so I was like, Oh dear. And then kind of sat on it for a couple of hours and it started to get heavier and heavier and heavier so I called Jane again and said I want to go <laughs> and then just get checked out and she's like yeah mm-hmm. fair enough and and I'd really tried to not be the person who was like because this has happened to me it'll happen again and they really tried to put it out of my mind but it um that's when it started to come and come back to me and I was like oh no I don't I don't see myself making it to full term again and um we went to hospital and uh they said you know you are bleeding you've had a small antipartum, an antipartum hemorrhage um which is uh just a bleed when your placenta may fall away from the wall or something else a your uterus bleeds and um they're like we want to keep you here and keep an eye on you and um stuff like that and then she's like i'm just going to check you as well because of your history and i just want to make sure that you're okay and um I was like, yeah, sure. And I'd had the contractions, but the bleeding was more the thing I was, like, worried about and wasn't expecting this all to happen again. And she <laughs> reached in and felt my cervix. And she said, you are dilating. And then she turned around to the midwife and said, her cervix feels like melted ice cream. <laughs> <clears throat> and it's just the visual. <laughs> was like <the> thing <laughs> I will remember the most. And um, they were basically just saying I was so stretched or like so loose in my cervix and stuff that I could just deliver at any minute. And so um, with a very small baby, like a 24 weeker, um, that's not a good thing. The survival percentages are about 75%. Um, But Danita Niku has really um, amazing care and amazing doctors and, um, you know, they were just as good as Wellington and they could take care of them if something happened. And so um, I was on – bed, rest and heads. then started to have contractions and they gave me the steroids and, um, magnesium and stuff like that. Um, so steroids developed along and magnesium to protect the baby's brain. And, um, they, in the States, it's quite funny. They'll use the magnesium to actually stop labor. Um, and they don't normally use it for that here, but that did work for me. It did stop my labor. Like my contractions started to get further and further apart On this 24 hours that I was on magnesium, then they kind of stopped. And then it was just bleeding and, um, bits. And then I got moved back to antenatal ward and got up to brush my teeth and my waters broke. (laughs) And so I was 24 weeks and three days. And, um, they just, yeah, everyone went crazy again (laughs) and got the incubator and everything ready. And, um, I was like crying out it's too early it's too early and I just yeah was not I did not cope well in that moment (laughs) again I like to think I'm a strong person but it's um yeah not a situation I think anyone would handle well being faced with yeah um yeah I raced back over I'm really lucky my one of my research supervisors was the um specialist on that night and um she was really calm and again she was like your your service is so soft and now your waters have gone like you know, in the nicest way, he could probably just fall out. Um, so they were like, don't do anything, stay where you are, stay in bed. Um, you know, we're going to see if this kind of all stops. Um, and then I just stayed on bed rest for about, I say nine days. And that's a really hard thing to do with a toddler. <laughs> um, he wanted to come in and yeah. play with me and run around the ward and kick things and, Um, press buttons that he shouldn't press and all sorts of things. And so that was, um, a bit challenging, but I was really lucky to have lots of, again, friends and family around this time, which made a world of difference. And my midwife checking in on me all the time, just making sure I was okay emotionally and, um, that I was getting the care that I, um, should be getting. And, um, on the ninth day, the doctor came in and said, um, you know, the things have been really settled for like the last week or so. So if you, um, again, still having contractions on and off and, and at times I wasn't coping, but nothing was eventuating into this. I'm going to have a baby in a minute now. And so, um, he was like, you can go f- for a walk today if you want. And I took my, all I did was take my son like 200 meters to the car, um, and put him in the car seat. And I thought, you know, I'm super mum doing this. <laughs> and, um, walked back to the hospital. And that was again, the first time I'd left the unit in 10 days or so. And, um, then that night I was really crampy and uncomfortable and I was like, oh, that's such a dumb thing to do. I shouldn't have done that. And then around nine 30, I called the bow and said, can I please have some Panadol or something? And everyone was really busy. That's fine. And then at ten thirty, I called the bow again and said, can I please have some Panadol or something? I'm really in a lot of pain. And then I was like, actually maybe make that codeine. And she was like, oh, maybe we should think about taking you back over to the delivery suite. I was like, no, look, I've been through this, you know, so many times. It's back and forth. You know, I don't think he's going to come. I don't think he's going to come. And that night, Helani's friend had come over from England. And so they were out on the town (laughs) drinking. (laughs) So he was like, not readily available. But I texted my mom at 10.30 and said, hey, I feel really like niggly. And it feels a lot like when I had Ari. Um. I am thinking maybe, like, if something happens, can I call you or can I get you to go pick him up from town and stuff? And she's like, yeah, of course. Um, and so in that half an hour between ten thirty and 11, it ramped up something wicked. And so I, again, called and said, no, I think I need to be in delivery suite. And then just, like, immediately started wheeling the bed over and um, bringing things to see me and, like, the incubator and things because they knew how quickly Ari had been born that it could just happen any second and um they called Hawani and Hawani turned off about twenty past eleven I think and they started giving me gas um to get through the contractions and my midwife to had just delivered a baby next door. Um so really luckily um she was close by and she came in because she'd heard me screaming down the corridor and she was amazing again as <laughs> she always is um and then about eleven 30, eleven forty-five. uh yeah eleven forty five so everything kind of calmed down and people started to leave and think like oh you know it's just that kind of she's been having this you know over and over again um and then I had a real big contraction and Jane lifted up the bed sheets and she said there's a head and the midwife <laughs> like screamed down to the corridor like help please And then everyone came running in again and just in time the registrar slid across the room with this plastic bag um and slid it under my bum just in time for Archie to come firing out and land on it and the plastic bags are for when they're born really premature um to wrap them in and keep them nice and warm um so it was crazy like it just all happened so quick both times and this time I couldn't hold him because the cord was too short but I did try and sit up to see him between my legs and as I sat up I pulled my bottom backwards in the bed and he just got tugged backwards on this little plastic sheet and everyone was like, No, no, no. no. <laughs> and so I was like, Oh dear. Um but yeah, they quickly um chucked him uh or tried to quickly chuck him in the incubator. There was a nurse, a neonatal nurse nearby, but the registrar was um a couple of minutes away, he was in E D. Um but when he came in he was like sweating <laughs> He'd obviously been running across the hospital to this baby. But same kind of thing, been told he won't cry, he's too little Um, and we just heard this kind of beep, 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 like a cheapy, cheapy, like chicken sound (laughs) going from between my legs. And, um, he was wiggling a wee bit and, um, still connected to the cord again. So he got a couple of minutes of delay cord clamping. And, um, yeah, then they took him over to the incubator and same thing again, placenta super quickly. And, um, I was standing up at the incubator five minutes later and the registrar had gone out of the room and come back and she saw. Some like the back of my head at the incubator and came over and started talking to me. And she was like, Where are we at? What's it like with intubation? And I just, I don't know if it was the medical student in me, started like repeating things back to her. And then she was like, Hold on, what are you doing? You should be on the bed. Like she, I mean, she thought I was someone else. Um, and then she was like, Sit down, sit down. I was like, No, I'm, I've been standing here for the last five minutes. I'm fine. Like, um, and we were just watching him because the difference between the first time with Ari and this time was this time we we really didn't know like Ari was 32 weeks he he was gonna be okay probably in the in the right place at the right time you can do all the right things for a baby that's 20 so he was 25 weeks and three days now um oh 25 weeks and six days sorry and um you know it can still not be enough and so we were just kind of like we don't know how much yeah. time we're going to get with this baby, and you know we want to soak in every second. And I didn't know. I knew the second time around, I was going to have to stay in delivery suite for a couple of hours, and so anything could have happened in that couple of hours. And I know they would have tried to get me there in time if something had happened, but um you know, I I, I wanted that few minutes with him before he got taken away in case something happened. um Yeah, and then there was lots of kind of he got taken care of and it was about 45 minutes of resuscitation um so it was quite a long time and then um they wrapped him up and took him downstairs to the NICU and um they said yeah you've got to stay here and it's just like even for the second time again just so heart-wrenching I've just had a baby I'm going through yeah. all this physical stuff and yeah yeah it's like a it really is like a piece of you being just ripped away um but Jane again you know, the the biggest thing about the second time round is when I delivered Ari into myself. Yeah. It was a shock. But the second time when his head came out, when Archie's head came out, Jane said to me, you're okay. You're in the right place and you're going to meet your baby soon. And just that like someone in the room that was calm. Yeah. yeah. made an incredible difference. Um, Yeah. yeah. How I dealt with it. So, yeah she was fantastic and she brought me um jam on toast (laughs) and sugary milo (laughs) yeah i just yeah she's just incredible she helped me pick an outfit she fished my blood clots out of the shower drain she was so good um and yeah then she um went away and did some paperwork and i was allowed to finally go downstairs and see him and um he wasn't he was being operated on at the time so um yeah we couldn't really like kind of get in and look at him or anything they were quite busy so we went back to the room and um they say go back and sleep and come back at like seven o'clock in the morning kind of thing um because this was about 1 a.m something and or 2 a.m and um yeah just stayed awake all night again and <laughs> just started expressing because that's what I knew what to do I, I knew to make milk <laughs> um and yeah so that was basically yeah that birth story over again really as quickly as it starts. And then um yeah, then we had 80 days in NICU with Archie and there was the second time around it was much worse. There was a lot of like um he didn't catch any infections, thankfully, but you know, with every being that little there's so many things that can just not be right. He had problems with the heart, he could um bleeding on his brain, um there's a lot of things that um Hawani really struggled to listen to, um, and deal with again, um, that kind of being out of control. And, um, he went to see the counselor and stuff that it, it was really great. Um, the second time around, I hooked him with a psychologist, <laughs> like almost straight away. I was like, I need to do this. <laughs> um, because yeah. the first time, while I, you know, got away with it, um, I think the second time that both kind of happening again, um, really got to me, and in the psychology, um, I did have nightmares and things for the first couple of months after Archie was born. I had nightmares of him being born at home um, in the bathroom, and I couldn't do into the bed, um, and I couldn't do anything about it. And it, obviously, that hadn't happened, so it was my brain like making things up. But it was um, traumatic, and we kind of talked to we kind of talked over a PTSD diagnosis. Um, and yeah, it was all kind of just really full on for a few months, and then it kind of just started to settle down. And he's five months old down and I'm feeling like really good, feeling a lot better. Um, but yeah, it was, it's good to have those kind of people. Those really qualified professionals that can help you um, get through that. Yeah, path. yeah, it's really important. And in an ideal world, if I ever become the minister of health, I'd love to see more funding for um, birth trauma through like ACC. Um, so things like um floor physios uh, psychologists and counselors um, and even lactation consultants I'd love to see lactation consultants funded but yeah I, I digress <laughs> um in NICU mm-hmm. you the same as usual you have your midwife for six weeks but you don't have your baby um so you just kind of get the visit that says you're still bleeding how are you feeling um and again Jane was amazing she'd come and see him and she yeah she's just so good and and she still comes and sees us every now and then quietly. Um, but <laughs> she, um, is just, yeah, just an amazing midwife. And I think it's probably hard for her too, cause she doesn't have a baby. But so, um, but yeah. so he, by the time I was about, he was about 32 weeks when she stopped officially seeing us. Um, so it's like not even close to going home. Um, but yeah, about 32 weeks, um, I tried him on the breast, and um, he started breastfeeding. So we've been breastfeeding since then, um, which is amazing. Obviously not like full-time at the beginning, but um, now I'm really, really lucky to be able to exclusively breastfeed him. I haven't had to give him bottles, and sometimes babies that premature come home with feeding tubes and things, but he didn't have to have that. Um, He did struggle for a long time with his lungs, though. He didn't have – he probably – like wasn't well developed for that he was a good size he was two pounds um two pounds four ounces I think so 1.1 kgs um, which is again really good for like a nearly 26 but 25 weeker. and um so we were pretty lucky but um yeah he had his fair share of troubles and things in Niku. and you know we see a pediatrician now and when we graduated <laughs> we left Niku. um he had um to be on oxygen at home um and that's really hard because i'm a very like get out there and do things mum and i had a toddler and <laughs> i couldn't do anything with him when he was on oxygen um since he came home we, we get home got home really early again we got home about 38 weeks whereas they normally say babies that young will stay at their the due date or after um but again we were really lucky to get home yeah so when he was a couple of weeks old he caught a bug and I was at home with him and I was just feeding him. And then I was just holding him on the couch, doing nothing, watching Netflix as you do. And he stopped breathing in my arms and I had to call an ambulance and he didn't breathe for like a good two minutes. Um And that was horrible. That was that I, I keep saying yeah. this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. I hope nothing else ever happens to me, but that will be the one <laughs> thing that ever happened to me um and that I just remember the firefighters trying to like break the window to get in because I would not leave his side um while he was not breathing to to let them in um and the firefighters were the closest people to us with oxygen not the <laughs> the ambulance came very soon all right yeah, yeah. um that yeah had ended up back in hospital for another three weeks after that um just well he came right from his little bugs and um yeah the premies are a sponge for bugs so they're just gonna get sick all the time but yeah Yeah. that was kind of um our journey but yeah the NICU the second time round was three times longer than the first time in NICU and I'm forever grateful for those extra nine days after my waters broke that I held on to him because um they say at that gestation every day that you spend in like hospital like still holding on to them is like a week you don't spend in NICU um and so we kind of got to that sweet spot like he was just getting developed enough to be able to be happy, um, have a reasonably smooth journey through NICU. But I met so many wonderful people when I was in NICU, um, many people that I'm still friends with, and um, some people that I even went on to like give my milk to because I just had so much of it because all I did was express and all my life just focused around expressing for five months of being in NICU. um, And, yeah, it was kind of... Um, just so amazing to have other people that experience that have been through that experience with you. It's so unique. Um, So you really just don't understand it. Yeah. Until it it happens to you. But um, we've been told not to have more children. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. We'll very happily not have more children. I think with the hyperemesis and the premature births, Um, we're happy with that. I mean, maybe once upon a time we would have thought about having more kids. We're very, very happily adopt um, or foster children. So that might be on the cards for the future. But yeah, until then, those are my birth stories and I don't have anything else. <laughs> That's it. That's all it's going to be. Um, but yeah, I'm so, yeah. so grateful to have um, three children, but two really healthy, wonderful, happy children in my life that, um, yeah, are otherwise really well and will probably spend the first couple of the years maybe trying to catch up to their peers, but otherwise really like have great prognoses. Um Ari, Archie had his developmental assessment recently. Um so you get lots of aftercare when you've been in NICU and they said he was at, if not ahead of, um his milestones considering he had um those brain bleeds um and things. So yeah. we're just we're just so grateful that it could have been so much worse but it really wasn't. And um yeah, really, really lucky to have um like my midwife (laughs) Um, and Mm -hmm. midwives and medical students and doctors and things that I knew that took good care of us and um, really listened to me. I think the biggest lesson out of it all and what I'd learned in hypnobirthing and doing the home birthing thing, like I um, knew that my body wasn't stronger than me because it is me. Um, And this made me really like, the whole situation initially with the birth made me doubt my body and how I felt about myself. And, um, yeah, just wasn't, wasn't in a good place But um, since then, you know, like I, I feel like I'm probably getting there and I feel a lot stronger and, um, yeah, it's just been a, been a rough ride, but everything is temporary. And, um, I think if you can think about it like that, you'll get through it. Every contraction I had, I, in my head, I was like, this is temporary. This is temporary. <laughs> this can't mm-hmm. go on forever. This doesn't go on forever. <laughs> um, every time i walk mm, yeah, in, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this doesn't go on forever. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it makes me super grateful for every day. Um, and <laughs> I don't want to sound like I ever wasn't, but, um, when I send Ari to bed at night, at night now, I, you know, I give him the biggest hug and the biggest kiss and I, um, yeah, just so like, grateful for every second i get to spend with him and when i go to sleep at night with archie i i do the same i tell him how much i love him and how grateful i am to have him with me and and we might have been blessed to not have to take too long to try and have children but um because i know that's a horrible journey to be a part of as well but um yeah it could yeah we're just so I didn't get a third trimester of just snuggling him on the inside while he was quiet and not talking to me yes. again. <laughs> so yeah, it's almost like this really drawn out fourth trimester of, um, kind of keeping him close and, um, being really grateful yeah. to the universe to him. Yeah.
1: amazing you've got such interesting stories that you've shared and packed so much information into there so thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your stories with us and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people out there who will find that really interesting and and get a lot out of it so thank you
0: no thank you for having me and hopefully like if people don't have premature babies of their own they at least find it interesting but if they do then you know they can take something away from it and hopefully be helpful
1: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback. So either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at Kiwi Birth Tales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you.